Real disciples. This morning, if you want to find your scripture before we get there, it'll be John chapter 14, verses 21 through 23. Today, actually, um, we'll be considering two disciples. Um, Jude himself will be among us, a man of three names, but his uh, buddy who in all of Scripture never says a word and is never mentioned outside the list of the twelve will remain silent, as probably would be his nature this morning. But just consider both of them before you uh, this morning. And these are the guys in the Living Lord's Supper painting, right there, the Two from the end on each side. They almost look like twins, but that's not the case. Uh, there is uh, James the Less on your left, and Thaddeus, or Labius, or Judas, not Iscariot, uh, on the other side. Got him clearly in your mind there, these two little guys. <laughs> that's just so much fun. Those two little guys. Isn't they great? Did everybody see at that time? You missed it, didn't you? Some of you weren't looking up. Those two little guys. But that's, that's who we're looking at uh, uh, this morning. Considering their lives as disciples. Real disciples. And that is our basketball player that is retired of late. Notice his posture. That's become popular recently in the basketball world. I don't know if it was Coach Smith of North Carolina or who patented that. When one player makes a fantastic basket and has that moment of glory, he turns and finds the one that made the assist, that set it up, without whom it would have been impossible. And as all eyes are on him, he points to his partner. Perhaps partners like those this morning. Greetings to you, my fellow disciples. My name is Judas and Labius and Thaddeus. Jerome called me Trinomius, the disciple with three names. Don't let it confuse you. Most people have no idea who I am, no matter which name I use. Labius was a nickname, as was Thaddeus. Judas was my given name. But most often, what I have in common with my fellow disciple James the Less, who I'll speak for this morning, was simply the fact that we were not another disciple. I was Judas, not Iscariot. Not the famous traitor the one of treachery who we knew as our treasurer. My friend James is known as James the Less, mostly because he was not James the Great. James the Great Disciple, notable for being in the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. I was not that James. I was not one of the sons of Zebedee. I was not a former fisherman nor the first to be martyred as a disciple. I am James Micro. 
Little James. Not James, even Jesus' late believing brother who led the church in Jerusalem. The James of the famous Jerusalem council that drew the Gentile and the Jewish Christians into one body. Not James, the brother of our Lord who is known for, for writing the book of Jude. We are the not another disciples. I, I don't know if that fits you or not. A disciple, but not one of the most notable ones in the bunch. Not the one to draw attention to themselves. A disciple, but not the person up there. Not the pastor, not the leader, not the teacher. Not the one that's most outspoken. Not the one that's first to act. Not the type that others note. I would be willing to bet that the majority of us are that type of disciple. Well then let my presence here today be a witness to you that Jesus chooses disciples like us. We are integral to His plan. You need not be a famous disciple to be a faithful one. You need not have distinction in the crowd to, to make a difference with any one person. You need not be celebrated to be just as called, just as Spirit-empowered, to be sent as the agent that Jesus is counting on and the circumstances that He has you. I think most of us are disciples in this ordinary army of soldiers. And folks, when we slumber, when we fall asleep at our post, the borders of God's kingdom rarely advance, no matter how much the prophets scream. Or the pastors plead. Or the leaders teach. The gates of hell that Jesus said would not prevail against the advance of the gospel. No less and less those who are penetrating the darkness being the salt that is so needed in a tasteless world. Hear me this morning, we, we may not all preach like a Peter or manage masses of disciples like James the Great. But disciples like that, do you realize? Those that we most often celebrate are actually in the minority. The majority of us are those who never make a name for ourselves. We, we just point to Christ. Like, like some ordinary frame around a masterpiece of art. It's, it's not about us. It's about the Christ who has honored us with the gift of His life. With the honor of the calling to serve Him. This is the majority to whom Paul says God gave some as apostles 
and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the rest of us, for the empowering of the army, for our work of service in God's name, to the building up of the whole body of Christ. Do you understand? You are the choir that's singing God's song in a noisy world till the whole world sings. We lift our voices. I caution you this morning not to let those gifted to merely accompany you in that song somehow keep you from singing your song. Or keep you thinking that someone else has taken your place. God gave you life. And He's still recreating His life in you, in Christ Jesus, having prepared works beforehand that you, that each of us, might walk in them. Every day, we're called to small things and sometimes large things. Every day, the mass of the church goes largely unnoticed. But every day, we can live the greatest love this planet has ever known. Wherever we are. Because He's not limited to just a few saints. He inhabits not just the praise of His people, but the lives of His people, the ministries of His people, the connections of His people, the encounters of His people. If you and I are not integral to His plan, why did He call us? So oftentimes we think that we chose Christ, but I'm here to tell you that Christ chose us 12. He chose us and He told us that He chooses us. You're not on the playground somewhere hoping that you can make the team. Christ's grace has already called your name. If you were ever baptized, guess what? You already wear the invisible uniform. You're on the team. Revelation 21.14 says that someday, though many of you might not even know my name, do you remember it even now? Judas. Not Iscariot. (laughs) Jude. Labius. Thaddeus. I go by them all. But someday it said in Revelation 21, 14 that when you get to heaven and you see the foundation stones of that place, that God will not have forgotten that He called a disciple like me on one of those foundation stones. Maybe it'll be a little bit larger than the rest because it has to accompany four names, not just one. You'll find all those names. It doesn't matter how unnoticed you go in this world. 
whenever you love and faithfulness anyone else around you, in that moment, you're one of those disciples that is given a cup of cold water in his name. And it will not be forgotten. The Lord holds you precious. And one of the greatest dangers, I think, for disciples like us is to miss those countless unnoticed moments that heaven sees as the cutting edge of the kingdom and which God has, has entrusted to each of us. God calls us, even if we're not another disciple, He calls us because we're not another disciple. Because His unique plan embraces us and would be lived out through us. Every act of compassion through everyone that's an agent of His is critical to the advance to the reality of the kingdom of God in this world. Who was the last to know the touch of that great love? that lives in you. No one, no one is insignificant who is the host of the King of Kings. So don't shrink from being God's agent. Because you're not like whoever. You fill in the blank. He doesn't need you to be a one of those. <laughs> He's called you to be you. And you for Him. You with Him. I, I, I was not like many of the other adventurous, swashbuckling, gregarious, manly men that pulled in the fish on the Sea of Galilee. My nicknames were Thaddeus and Labius. Thaddeus. Greek for breast child. Labius. Greek for heart child. For the other disciples to have thought that that was an appropriate name for me must, must at least disclose that they understood me to be a tender-hearted kind. A gentle one. At the more derisive end of that spectrum, they might have just thought I was a mama's boy. But God doesn't use just one kind of us. There were those that I could approach in my gentle way as Peter was preaching in the streets of Jerusalem that day. 
There were thousands that came to the Lord that day. Peter could not baptize them all. More than one had a question that raised above the crowd that Peter had to respond to. Not everybody finds those kinds of folks approachable, accessible. The Lord had me there amongst them as well. The only words recorded in, of me in all the New Testament is a simple question to the Lord. It comes up at a time that you might expect. Not one of those highly public moments, but just the twelve of us in the upper room. I felt comfortable to talk among those who knew me a little bit better than others. You'll find it there in John 14, starting with verse 21. Jesus is teaching us some of the last things that He wanted us to cling to. These are His last words just before He went to be with the Father. This is the upper room before He was arrested. These words still echo in my heart. He who has My commandments and keeps them. He it is who loves Me. And He who loves Me shall be loved by My Father, and I will love Him and will disclose Myself to Him. My one moment to speak. Judas, not Iscariot, said to Jesus, Lord, what then has happened that You were going to disclose Yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and, and said to me, If anyone loves Me, he will keep My Word, and My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode, our home, with him. No one is insignificant who is the host of the King of Kings. I think two clear convictions of mine come across as I pose that question, I assume that I am one of those that Jesus is talking about. I had a clear conviction about whose we were. We belonged to Him. That was our criteria. That was our resume. Not anything that we were, not anything that we specifically had to offer. We were chosen of God. Those who have Christ's commandments and keep them. Those who love the Lord Jesus. I don't know if you could find a more general description of who we are. I took him to be talking about us. Those for whom Christ's will is a priority. Who love God. And try to love one another as He's loving us. I was clear about whose we were, but I was also clear about who Jesus was, or at least I thought so. I didn't understand what he was saying. This was really so unlike Jesus if I was getting it, and maybe I wasn't getting it. What, what does it mean that you will reveal yourself to us, but not to the world? Because if there's anything I knew about Jesus, is that you didn't have to be somebody 
to be one that he loved. All the usual criteria were out the door. If his father shaped you, he claimed you. His heart would claim those that would even reject him. Would speak forgiveness over those who took his life. But it wasn't taken. He gave it. That was the nature of his love for everyone. What did he mean that he would somehow walk with us in a special way? That he would reveal himself to us but not to the world? Maybe I misunderstood what he was saying. But he was saying, though he loved all of us the same, and he loved everybody that you will ever lock eyes with as much as he loves anyone that you know. As hard as that is for us to understand, when we open our hearts to show hospitality to him, to say, Lord, you're welcome to live and breathe and be my Lord, to lead me and to guide me, you do walk into a new experience. He unfolds things, reveals things. His activity in your life, not that he's not active in everyone's life, he is. But maybe because they haven't given the invitation, maybe because they're not longing for the conversation, maybe because they don't know exactly what to look for, so much goes unnoticed. But for those of us who long to walk with Him, who come to recognize Him, who know His heart, we see His invisible hand all the time. We knew whose we were. We knew who He is. And no one is insignificant who hosts this king. He wouldn't force himself to, into the lives of those who would not welcome him. But he makes you his temple, his place in which to dwell. He wants to make of those that he loves his home. The only thing that makes sense of that is nothing in us but the love that's in Him. Are you the host of such love? Are you living loved? Are you allowing God to make your life His home? Now, you, you doubt it, don't you? It's too good to be true. It's hard to trust. It's so fantastic. God couldn't be calling you to do what you're hearing in your heart. Again and again, you, you see things, needs that need to be met. You, you ache for things in the church to happen. But surely that's someone else's job. Surely that's God calling someone else. 
God calls you to do something that's uniquely you, but because it's not the way that that famous disciple in your midst operates, you say, it must not be for me either. Do you know what it is to live with someone else in your church or someone else in your family who's usually the star and it ain't you? Though, though it's not clear exactly, the, we as disciples, the two of us, James and, and myself, Jude, had family ties within the disciples and all of them were folks greater than I, greater than we. I was the son of Alphaeus. If you noticed a few weeks ago, so was Matthew. Do you know what it is to have a sibling that's always outshining you? Until you can almost convince yourself that there's really not a place in this world that God would place a star like you in His heaven. To come to that place where you just think that it's, it's not your place to shine at all. Maybe it's not even your path. I myself had a mother who followed Jesus faithfully. Her, her name was Mary. One of the many Marys that showed up on Easter morning to take care of Jesus' body. Do you leave that to someone else? Others in your family might be more regular responders. They might be the first ones asked to help, to, to, to join in. But I plead with you, don't be any less available or active for Christ. Are you doing what He's assigned you? Look around you. Pay attention to what Jesus is doing in your midst and, and join Him where that makes sense for you. John in his Gospel in the very last verse says this, and there are many other things which Jesus did which if they were written in detail I, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books which were written. It took hundreds of years in the historian Eusebius to tell one of those stories. Things that were happening in Jesus' day that the Bible speaks not of. Jesus became known as many people as he healed and as many people as he touched. His, his ministry was so incredible, so life-changing for those who experienced it that the word had a way of getting out. The rumors of Jesus got as far as Edessa, a city in Mesopotamia, to a king whose name was Abgar. He struggled with many physical afflictions and he was amazed at the healing that was told to flow from the heart of Jesus to those that he loved. And so he wrote Jesus letters. And Jesus never went that far. That's not where Jesus was called to be at the time. Abgar sent a messenger whose name was Hannah. 
And, and he met with Jesus and asked Jesus many of Abgar's questions and took down Jesus' answers. And it said that before Hannah left, that he is the only one that all of history records ever painting the face of Jesus to take home to his king. And though that painting is lost to history, it was said to hang in the palace of Edessa for a king who longed for an encounter with Christ, with Jesus himself, that never quite happened. Rumors eventually got back to King Abgar that Jesus had been crucified, and that made no sense to anyone at the time. What was the mystery of how that came to be? But he lost hope that he would ever encounter Jesus himself. Perhaps another letter comes. The history record is not sure. Perhaps Abgar still had questions of this Jesus in the years following Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension and him entrusting to us the witnessing to his presence. All the other apostles were busy with the Lord's work. They already had their assignments. If someone was going to go, it had to be someone who was not one of them. I was available. I was willing. And if you'll just give Jesus that, It's amazing what will happen when he shows up and you're on assignment. It was Thomas, according to history, who turned to me and said, Mama's boy, you're available. You host a king. Maybe it's time for a king to host you. And so I went to Edessa. And King Abgar offered me the reception that he had long wanted to offer Jesus, though Jesus never got close to take advantage of it. And I got to share Christ's heart. I got to explain the cross, that that was not a plan gone bad the plan of God unfolding for him. That Jesus wanted to pave a way to God on his cross. Forgive anyone who would take this offer as, as their way of accessing God through what Christ had done for them. But the story didn't end there on a cross with him making a way. It, it went on to say that God had authenticated this, that, that Jesus' words were not just some Words of a deranged man that hopes so. Only God could raise a man from the dead. Only God would write that kind of signature under a life like his. Only God would empty a tomb because he wants so desperately to fill a heart, to fill yours, to fill mine to release us as agents, 
to anyone who still lives in enough darkness not to believe that that kind of love is alive for them right now if they would but open themselves to receive it, to trust Him, to have faith in Him, to walk with Him, and to let Him walk with you into any circumstance with, to which He calls you. I told Abgar that story. And in that moment, he so opened his life that it was as if Christ himself was holding him as he wept in my arms. He had not missed his chance. Christ had come for him as certainly as he had come from any of those other well-known disciples. Jesus knew him by name. He had not forgotten. He rejects no invitation to live in the heart of another. Jesus had found a way to touch Abgar right where he was. And Abgar opened his life so completely to the Lord. So much of Jesus came in, every affliction had to get out. I watched this broken king stand as a man with youthful vigor. Everything that ailed him fell off like a scale. He became alive from the inside out. Why do we not more often offer the treasure that a king would claim? Why do we not more often, often offer the treasure that the king wants to give? It may not happen in a church service. I think more often than not, it doesn't. It happens in palaces and in break rooms. It happens in locker rooms and in schoolyards. It happens whenever someone loves so authentically that another believes that the king of love still lives. Does he live in you? He can. The invitation still stands. He has not passed you by. If you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. Could that happen at this altar this morning? If you're open to it, I know he will be faithful. You come to receive the Christ who has come for you. And if he already lives in your heart, don't keep that treasure to yourself. Dare in your own way with the connections that only you have to share a treasure that only makes you richer when you give it away. Army of God, would you stand?
This morning as we close in this song, I challenge you to let your voice be heard. I don't know if it even fits, but I feel led this morning somewhere in the midst of this song for all the accompaniment to fade away. And for us to find our voice as the foot soldier of his love wherever he sends us this week. Let's sing. If you would come to Christ, come to the altar. We would celebrate this treasure with you. Let's sing.